0: The pelvic floor includes the muscles, ligaments, and connective tissue in the lowest part of the pelvis. When things go wrong there, a whole host of symptoms can develop. Welcome to the GW HealthCast, I'm Dr. Mike Smith, and today's topic, the pelvic floor. My guest is Dr. Sharwell Carter-Brooks. She is the Assistant Professor of Obstetrics and Gynecology with the George Washington School of Medicine and Health Sciences and is affiliated with the George Washington University Hospital. Dr. Brooks, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: So how about first we just have a nice anatomy lesson? How's that? Let's start with what exactly is the pelvic floor?
1: That's a great question because I think it's something that women don't commonly know until they're having an issue. So we think of the pelvic floor basically as like a bowl of muscles that attaches to your pubic bone in the front and then your tailbone or sacrum in the back. And those muscles hold up the bladder, the vagina and uterus and the rectum. And when there's an injury to those muscles, um, such as from childbirth. Um, or changes that happen to the muscles with age, menopause, or just genetics, um, then you can develop a pelvic floor disorder, which includes urinary symptoms like urinary incontinence or pelvic organ prolapse, which is actually when the pelvic organs descend or drop down through the vagina, and fecal incontinence, which is leaking of stools.
0: How common is this? Uh, how, many, how many patients do you see with a pelvic floor issue?
1: So all the patients that I see have pelvic floor issues, and what's commonly reported is that one in four women will experience a pelvic floor disorder, which again is urinary leakage, um, fecal leakage, or pelvic organ prolapse in their lifetime. And that number actually is increased in women who have had children um, or women who are obese um, or women who've had family members that actually have that issue as well. And by the time a woman is 80 years old, she has a 50 percent chance of having a pelvic floor disorder. So it's very, very common, more common than things like hypertension and diabetes.
0: Hmm. Uh, you mentioned a few things or, or reasons why there might be a, a pelvic floor disorder. Can we go over that again? What, what are who's at risk for for this type of condition, and, and why is that?
1: Right. So really, because it's so common in all women, we say that being a woman puts you at risk. But beyond that, it is childbirth. So actually being pregnant, carrying a pregnancy, having a vaginal delivery, um, having a vaginal delivery where you use um, forceps or a vacuum also increases that risk. Your genetic makeup, so your family members, your mother, your aunt, your grandmother, if they've had issues with their pelvic floor, then you are more at risk. If you have a connective tissue disorder like Ehlers-Danlos, you can also be at risk. Obesity, smoking, because those affect the tissue and the muscle strength. And then actually going through menopause, so no longer making estrogen anymore, weakens the pelvic floor as well.
0: So you mentioned that you only see women, uh, you know, with pelvic floor conditions. So tell us a little bit about your role and your specialty um, when it comes to, to this type of condition.
1: That's really a great question because I think a lot of women don't know that there are special physicians who specialize in these conditions that they can see. And so, my approach is to have whatever woman comes in with any complaint is to make sure we assess bladder symptoms, vaginal symptoms, and rectum symptoms. And we really have a multidisciplinary approach here at GW. I work with urologists and colorectal surgeons, gastroenterologists, pelvic floor physical therapists and general OBGYNs to um, provide the most comprehensive care for the patient and making sure that we're addressing all issues and not just one issue. And I think that makes us unique here.
0: And so when you, so most of the patients that you do see, are they being referred from their primary care physician or can can patients reach out to your clinic directly?
1: So, both happen. Uh, Many patients are referred from their primary care or their OBGYN um, because they have those symptoms that are brought up during an annual exam um, for a physical or for a pelvic exam. Uh, But patients can also directly come in to see me and don't need a referral um, if they're having any of those symptoms. Um, I also get referrals from the pelvic floor physical therapist as well. If patients have done physical therapy and are not seeing the improvement that um, they desire.
0: I would love for you uh, to walk us through a typical workup. Uh, When you see a patient, what kind of tests can she expect to, to, to undergo to be diagnosed correctly? And then what are some of the treatment options?
1: Um, so that will vary kind of based on what the patient's presenting symptoms are. But let's say somebody comes in um, that reports they're leaking urine or having urinary incontinence. So really a large part of what we'll do is talk about your symptoms, um when you're leaking, how often you're leaking, what you're using, are you using pads, um, are you using um, incontinence diapers, what you're drinking, how often you're going to the bathroom, medications, past medical history, so a very thorough history of what's been going on. And then we always perform a pelvic exam. Which is kind of a standard pelvic exam that we will have with a gynecologist, what we look for things like pelvic organ prolapse, changes in the vagina from not making enough not having enough estrogen, which is called atrophy. Um, we would want to measure after urination, the amount of urine that's left in the bladder to make sure that you're not holding on to too much urine. Um, and that's, and then we also measure the prolapse if there is any. And so that's kind of a standard exam that we'll do in the office. And depending on symptoms from that point um, and what we find, if we see leaking on the examination, um, then we'd move forward to talk about treatment options. Um, If we don't see any leaking, sometimes we have to move forward with special testing called urodynamics, which is basically where we fill the bladder um, with water very slowly and ask the woman about sensation, what she's feeling, to cough, bear down, um, so we can try to see the leaking as well. And that gives us more information. Um, Every once in a while, if the woman's had previous pelvic surgeries um, or issues with blood in the urine, we'll have to perform a cystoscopy, which is a camera in the bladder, which we can do in the office to assess the bladder and the urethra to make sure there's nothing there um, that could be causing the symptoms of urinary leakage. After that, we talk about treatment options, and so the treatment options usually start with behavioral things, so cutting back on caffeine, drinking 60 to 80 ounces of water a day, not drinking two to three hours before bedtime. Time voiding, so putting your bladder on a schedule and not letting your bladder tell you when it's time to go to the bathroom. Um, those are time our uh, behavioral interventions that we start with, and then physical therapy. We have specialized pelvic floor physical therapists here at GW that we work very closely with that help women regain strength and muscle coordination in their pelvic floor, and just behavioral interventions along with pelvic floor physical therapy can actually improve symptoms substantially upwards. Of Then, depending on the type of urinary incontinence or urinary leakage the woman has, if it's stress incontinence, which is leaking with coughing, laughing, sneezing, sometimes lifting heavy objects, running, jumping jacks, treatments for that would include, uh, beyond pelvic floor physical therapy, would include um, a pessary, which is a silicone vaginal insert, or moving on to procedures, which include a mid-urethral sling, which is kind of the gold standard for stress incontinence. If the urinary leakage is from bladder spasms, so that strong urge to go to the bathroom, we think of you put the key in the door, you can't hold your bladder, you're already starting to leak, or your hands are in running water, you have to go to the bathroom, that gotta go, gotta go. um, We usually will start with medications after physical therapy and behavioral things, And then there's third-line treatments for women who fail medications, which include bladder Botox, um, sacral neuromodulation, and PTNS, or posterior tibial nerve stimulation, which is acupuncture for the bladder. And that's kind of in a nutshell. There's a lot of information there. um, Mm -hmm. But just know that there are treatment options for pelvic floor disorders. We have many, many, many treatments, and it really, we tailor it to um, the patient's goals for their life.
0: Excellent. I really appreciate that. A lot of great information. You're listening to the GW HealthCast. Please visit gwdocs.com to get connected with Dr. Brooks or another provider, or call 1-888-4GW-DOCS to schedule an in-person or virtual appointment. I'm Dr. Mike Smith. Thanks for listening.